Good morning. Good morning. This morning, we're going to finish, well, we'll still be in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to go through all of verse 7. Just one verse today. Maybe we'll go quick. When you say that. <laughs> but that's not where we're going to start. Actually, let's start. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you and who you are. I just ask that you would lead us and guide us through this study. You would meet each one of us right where we're at. You know what we're going through. You know our hearts. You know everything about us. I just ask that you would meet us, meet our needs, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us and guide us in this life and in everything we do. But right here, right now, in this study, your words will be spoken. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, let's start, let's go to Romans chapter 3 first. <clears throat> then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 11. Romans is there's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, kind of a little more than halfway through the Bible, then Acts, then Romans. Chapter three, verse twenty-one. So Hebrews chapter eleven is the chapter we're going through, right? Remember that. And what's that known as? The Hall of Faith, right? Hebrews chapter 11 is because it all talks about all the things that all these people did in faith. But yet we don't hear about all the bad things they did, just the good things they did in faith. But it's interesting that the Hall of Faith, kind of like play on words, the Hall of Fame, right? What do you have to do to get into the Hall of Fame? You should have to do something amazing. Have the most... Touchdown passes ever thrown, most home runs ever hit, right? Bigger is always better, but that's not how God works. He is impressed with faith, right? Not with numbers or with stats or with how big or how popular or how much. None of that impresses him. What impresses him is the little things you do in faith or the big things you do in faith, but believing in what he says. So... This Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, the whole reason that we're going through this chapter, as slow as we are, is to study all the different aspects of the faith that we have and the people that had these moments or these lifetimes of great faith that are recognized here. So Romans chapter 3, starting here in verse 21. But now... God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So I'll read verse 22 again. So we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So I didn't read that we are made right with God by building a big church, by 
clothing the homeless by doing any other good works. I read right here that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And that that simple truth is true for everyone who believes, not just a certain few, but everyone, no matter who we are. So the whole point to all of this is our faith. And it starts with our faith in Jesus and who he is. So I'm going to continue reading here in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned, who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So faith and belief are the same thing, right? When we believe in what we cannot see, or when we have faith, it's the same as saying when we believe, right? So the main purpose of all this, or the main point of all this, is that being made right with God starts first with having faith or belief in Jesus. The belief that he sacrificed himself, shed his blood on the cross for each and every one of our sins. That there's no greater love than that, right? Now, I don't know what it's like for you when you were a kid, but I remember when I was a kid, I always thought, well, it'd just be so much easier to believe if he'd just come down and talk to me and I could see him. Did you ever think that when you were a kid? I thought that. But what have we learned so far going through chapter 11? That it's not faith if we see it, right? Faith or belief is in what we cannot see, but what we hope for or what we know is true. And God says that when we place our hope in him, that's not like a keep my fingers crossed 50-50 chance. His hope is a guarantee, right? All of his promises are guarantees. So when he says that when you believe in his son, you'll have everlasting life, you enjoy paradise forever, and that's all you have to do is believe in his son, then that's what's going to happen, right? So that hopefully puts it a little more in context. But let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. So we'll find out which person we're going to highlight today because that's really what chapter 11 does it's highlighting all these people and not great people not people who had stellar records but people who had great faith in what God has done so Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 so it was by faith 
that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So, verse 7 again. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. So what was Noah doing? Protecting his family. I read that in there. That's important. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. So God warned him about something that had never happened before. Now, the whole earth had never been flooded before, right? So that's one thing. But the other thing that I think had never happened before is the rain, or the flooding in general. I don't think, and we'll go, well, we'll go back to Genesis and look at this. But I think that there was a firmament between the earth and the sky, kind of like a, a cloud canopy. So you didn't have this direct sunlight coming down, right? It was kind of like being in the rainforest. Now, I've never been to the rainforest, but someday I would like to go. No, not so much. <laughs> well, someday I would like to go visit the rainforest because I've heard that it's like a whole different world underneath that tree canopy. So you have this canopy of trees in the rainforest and the sun doesn't come through it, but you still have light in there, right? The sun's light still penetrates through, but you don't have this direct sunlight that's coming in. But I've heard it's like a whole different world. That's how you die. <laughs> that's how you die. Only if you get eaten by a, a boa constrictor, or no, an anaconda. anaconda. That's what's out there. That's, in the it's, the, it's the bugs. It's yeah. the bugs it's that get the you. Bugs. They surround right. you. Okay. Well, maybe maybe we don't have to go. <laughs> maybe we don't you have to go. You can look up pictures forest. on the internet. <laughs> we'll just read about it. But anyways, it's the same. I think it's the same principle. So you have this treetop canopy, right, that protects the ground and everything underneath, and. It's a whole different life. Well, I think it was kind of the same way in Noah's days. You had this kind of cloud canopy or, or covering that protected the earth. And so I think that's one of the reasons that people lived longer. I think there's others. So I think that's a lot of what was happened too. This is the first rain that had ever come down. It hadn't rained before. So by faith, Noah condemn the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So we're going to go back and we're going to read Noah's story, but I'll give you a few cliff notes now. Noah is asked to build this boat because this flood is coming. The world had never been flooded before. It was going to rain. It had never rained before. Can you imagine how crazy Noah would have looked to everyone else that was around? Right? What are you doing? And he's telling them, repent turn back to God, he's getting ready to flood the world. He's going to send rain, and it's going to flood the world. Everyone must have thought he was crazy. So, we'll go back. Let's go back to Genesis and take a look at Noah. So, Genesis chapter 6 is the story on Noah. <clears throat> So Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to read about Noah. But I'm going to go back just a little bit 
before that. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 6, and you don't have to go there, I'll just read it to you. Then God said, let there be space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens from the waters from the earth. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters from the earth and the waters from the heavens. God called the space sky. So there were waters in the heavens. I think that's that kind of cloud canopy or whatever it was that was over the earth. You had the sky and then you had the earth. And there were waters on the earth. Does that make sense? So that's kind of where you get that cloud canopy or something like that. Now, not everyone sees it the same way, and that's fine. That's not like a salvation issue. I just think that that is an explanation that makes pretty good sense to me as to why this happened and how it had never happened before and why it was different. So when God created the earth, it's not like what we see it now, right? So Genesis chapter 6. So Genesis chapter 6. Then the people began to multiply on the earth. The daughters were born to them, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women, and they took any they wanted to be their wives. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their lifespan will be no more than a hundred and twenty years. So in the New King James, it says it a little bit differently there. The New King James in chapter 6, verse 3 says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. So I think there's a little bit different. The wording, the normal lifespan isn't in there. Because I read after this, after this, we'll read about people who live more than 120 years to be 120 years old. So what I think God is saying here is that from this moment on, from when he speaks this, he's going to send a flood in 120 years. Because it took Noah 100 years to build the boat. But So I think that's what is being said here. So in those days, continuing on here in the New Living Translation, chapter 6, verse 4. In those days, and for some time after, giant Nephitalis lived on the earth. For whenever the sons of God had intercourse with the women, they gave birth to children who became the heroes of famous warriors of ancient times. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. And why do we think Noah found favor with the Lord? Because in Hebrews, we read that he had great faith. And it's impossible, we've learned this in our previous studies through chapter 11, it's impossible to please God without faith, right? And what is faith? Believing in what we can't see. So, Verse 9, 
This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person on earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all of this corruption in the world, for everyone on the earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on the side of the boat, three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on the earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, male, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as the Lord had commanded him. So Noah followed all of his instructions, right? So he's building a boat because it's going to rain. He's going to flood the earth, which had never happened before. And I guarantee you, everyone that came and talked to Noah or saw Noah and saw what he was doing, because this was not a small boat, 450 foot long, 75 foot wide, 45 foot high. This is like a cruise ship size boat. So it would take him a while to build. And we got to go see the one that oh, they yeah, built in Kentucky. Kentucky. That was pretty massive, wasn't it? So it was Noah and his sons that built this boat. That would have taken them a while. Okay? It's a replica. That was huge. Yeah, the that thing was massive. But that's, that's, what it, that that's, was what, the replica. that's what they think it would have looked like. like and I think every, they're pretty close. Every floor is like a mile long. Oh, yeah. 450 feet long. <laughs> yeah. It was a it was a big boat. Yeah, big so. dinosaurs in there. Yeah. I still don't get how they fit all that in there. Well, it doesn't it's say. Single animal. <clears throat> yep. So every kind of animal, male and a female, She's but male it and female. but it doesn't say that they were adults. Mm-hmm. So it could have been smaller. Oh. So it doesn't like like a elephant. It doesn't say that they were adult elephants. It could have been an adolescent male and an adolescent female, smaller elephants, right? Does that make sense? Mm. And then when they got off the boat, they grew up, and then they had babies and blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to get together. We're going to There you go. <laughs> okay, so hold your finger in Genesis, because we're going to come back here, because we're going to go through chapter 7. Yeah, that's right. And then... We're going to go and take a look at, and you don't have to go there. I can read it to you. But I'm going to look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. 
We're only looking at one verse, and we're coming right back to Genesis. So, so 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. So who were the seven others? So you had Noah and his wife. You had Shem and his wife. You had Japheth and his wife. And you had him and his wife. So that's eight. So Noah plus seven others. So that's the eight that were on the boat. Okay? Uh, Seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So Noah wasn't just building the boat this whole time and and not talking to anybody. Noah was warning everyone that, that came around. Everyone in the known world that would have passed through or heard anything about it. And news travels fast, even in the ancient world. Rumors and all that good stuff. Gossip. All traveled fast. I can only imagine. People were talking about this. This crazy man is building this boat. Right? So, he warned of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And turn them into heaps of ashes. That was another story. So, but anyways, so here in Second Peter we read again about Noah, and we learn that there were eight on the boat, Noah and seven others. But Noah wasn't just there. Noah was warning everyone. I'm sure that that's what God told him, because the last thing we read in chapter six was so Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him, and I'm sure God's one of. God told him how to build the boat and specifically how to do it. But God also told him to warn everyone that this is coming, right? And God didn't just tell him, you know, you got one day to figure this out. God gave him about 100 years for them to repent and turn back to him. So he gave him a long time, right? Okay, let's go back to Genesis chapter 7. So Genesis chapter 7, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family. From among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, a male and a female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice, and take one pair of each of the others. Also take seven pair of every kind of bird. There must be a male and a female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. So all life will survive on the earth after the flood. Seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have wiped from the earth, all the living things I have created. So now think of this. It takes Noah a hundred years to build this boat, okay? And he's telling people, repent, turn back to God. You know, they've had plenty of time. And that would have had to taken great faith by Noah, don't you think? To go build this boat when it never rained before? It seems pretty crazy. But faith is believing in what he can't see or what he hasn't seen yet, right? So he, God's told him it's going to rain. He believes it. So, then he gets the boat built. He takes on the animals for eating, the animals for sacrifice, and then a pair 
male and female, of every kind of animal, right? It didn't have to be adults. They could have been smaller adolescent animals. And they're on the boat for seven days and there's no rain. <laughs> can you imagine all the people that are coming to the boat while they're on there and making fun of them? I can only imagine. Do you think it was much different then as it is now? Do people make fun of other people now for doing different things? Absolutely. Can you imagine all the people that were making fun of him and mocking him? How foolish you are. Where are you at? You're on your boat. There's no rain. What's this rain you keep talking about? There's no flood. So what kind of faith would that have taken to be Noah? And what kind of faith would that have taken to be Noah's family? So Noah gets a lot of credit here, right? But what about his family? What about his wife and his kids and their wives? They all went with him. And don't you think people were making fun of them too? What kind of faith do you think that took for them to be a part of this? I would say quite a bit, right? Right? So, they're on the boat for seven days, and it still isn't raining. But God's told them that ahead of time. You're going to be on there, and then after you get on the boat, seven days later, I'm gonna, it's going to rain. So, uh... So Noah, again, verse 5. So Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth. He went on board the boat to escape the flood. He and his wife and his sons and their wives. With them were all the various kinds of animals. Those approved for eating and for sacrifice and those that were not. And those that were not along with all the birds and small animals that scurry along the ground. They entered the boat in pairs, male and a female, just as God commanded Noah. After seven days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. So with that, hold your finger here because we're going to come right back here. But I am going to go to Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. In and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in a field, one taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour in the mill, one taken, and the other left. So you must keep watch, for you don't know the day of our Lord is coming. So with last, I think last week we talked a little bit about the rapture, right? God, Jesus is coming back again, the second coming for his saints. And so that's what he's talking about here. But Jesus also gives reference to Noah, what it was like in those days. 
But even though people had all this warning and all this time, and even after Noah got on the boat, and that was kind of their, their last chance to get on with us, they still had seven more days, but they didn't repent. They just kept living the lives that they wanted to live, right? And then all of a sudden the floodwaters came and swept them all away. And it's the same when Jesus comes back again. When the Son of Man returns, so he came the first time, not to judge the world, but to save the world. But we're promised that he's coming back again, right? And he's coming back again for his saints. And so that's what it means when there's two men working in the field, one's taken, the other's not. One that believed in him is going with him, and the ones that aren't are not. So... While we think, oh, well, I can wait till the end of my life, or I'm pretty young, I don't really need to believe in Jesus, or I'll worry about that religious stuff later on in life, you never know when he's coming back. So you don't want to wait till the end of your life, right? Because you don't want to be the one that was grinding flour, the one working in the field that didn't get to go. So it's important that we believe now, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So we'll go back. So chapter 7, verse 11. So here, the floodwaters are coming, and we read, and when we were in Matthew, those are Jesus' own words. That was Jesus speaking when he was here on earth, that people were carrying on, living life as they did. So when Noah was 600 years old, on the seventh day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. And rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. So for 40 days and 40 nights, which is significant, the number 40. How often do you see the number 40 in the Bible? Fairly often. So for 40 days and 40 nights, the rain fell. The springs, the underground springs opened up and the earth flooded. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and a female of each kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. So the boat had this big door, right? And who closed the door? God did. Pretty amazing. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper and deeper, covering the ground, lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the waters covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on the earth died. The birds, the domestic animals, the wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth. People, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds in the sky were all destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat. And the flood waters covered the earth for 150 days. 
So God sent this flood and destroyed all the earth. And why did he do that? Because remember when we read about creation, everything he created was good, but then sin entered into the world and it became corrupt. It wasn't the same world that God had created. And here, people had gotten evil. Everything they did was evil. All their thoughts were evil. There was no good in them at all. But the ones that were good, what did God do? He saved them and protected them, right? So I think that's important to note. That those that wanted to live a life separate from God, got what they wanted. They could live a life separate from God for all of eternity. But those that wanted to live a life with God in their lives, God protected and rescued So we'll continue on here in verse 8. The other, well, before we go to verse 8, the other thing that I find notable is that it says the waters covered all the mountain peaks. Now, does that seem crazy? I think of maybe for some people that doesn't. But when you live here in Colorado and you're up against the Rocky Mountains, that's a lot of water, doesn't it? And it says here that it covered the earth all the way to the top of the mountain peaks and 22 feet of water above the tallest mountain peak. And it did it for 150 days. Does that not seem crazy? But what does it take? Does it take faith to believe that? Right? None of us were there to see it, but you can believe it. Right? And it takes faith. And so one of the reasons that I believe it, number one, God said it in his word. Right? God said it. I believe it happened. But the other one was we did a gravel pit up in Craig, Colorado. So Craig is up in the mountains, in the Rocky Mountains, way up there. Let me know, my gosh. Is this about the egg you found? No, this is about, well, we did find some. We found a shark in a lake in Idaho. Yeah. A shark? Yes. A landlocked lake. Yep. How? Well, if the entire earth was flooded. So anyways, we did this gravel pit up there in the mountains. Top of the mountains up in Craig, Colorado, right? And we're digging down. And when we would dig down, we'd hit these pockets of this big black clay. And a lot of times inside that big black clay, we'd find these tree trunks, huge tree trunks that had been rolled up in this clay. And the clay had somehow preserved the tree trunks or parts of the trees. And when we pulled it apart, you could still see every ring in that tree. These were big, massive trees. So somewhere... There was a huge, huge flood on the top of the Rocky Mountains that washed these big, big trees and broke them up and somehow rolled them into this black clay. And when it rolled them into the black clay, it preserved them. And they were sitting there in the gravel pit. And when we dug through, we found them. And the gravel pit was a wet pit, so it was all covered in water. So I think that's why the only the tree trunks we found that were preserved were the ones wrapped in clay, kind of like they were encased or protected it's all soaked in water up there so somewhere these huge trees on the top of a mountain got rolled into clay and flooded and into this gravel pit and I would say to you that that probably happened during Noah and his flood so another reason I think that the earth isn't quite as old as everyone thinks it is yeah we did find some just cool looking I don't even know what they call it yeah they're kind of rocks but I think they're old dinosaur eggs. And so while we're, oh well, while we're on the topic of dinosaurs, so how do dinosaurs fit into all this? And I would say to you that God created dinosaurs. God talks about, in the Bible, we talk about behemoth, this animal that had a tail the size 
of a great cedar tree well, and a long, big neck, big, tall body. That, to me, speaks of a brontosaurus, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There's Leviathan that gets talked about, this sea monster. So God absolutely did create dinosaurs. They existed. But I would say to you that they weren't full-size dinosaurs on the ship or on Noah's Ark, that they were the adolescent size, the smaller ones. And I think that that explains it, for, in my mind, fairly well. If you took some young male and female dinosaurs of each kind, and they went with them. But then after the flood, there was no more of this earth canopy. There was no more of this kind of rainforest canopy over the earth. And I would say to you that the climate changed, and the dinosaurs didn't survive in that. That that wasn't the, the climate that worked well for them. Make sense? You buy into that? Sure. Sure? Okay. Let's continue on reading here in ver or chapter 8. So chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild mammals and livestock with him on the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the flood waters began to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing, and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the flood waters gradually receded from the earth. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, the waters continued to go down. Other mountain peaks became visible. So the entire earth is covered for 150 days. The boat finally lands on Mount Ararat. And still, two and a half months later, the water is still going down. So they are on the boat for a long, long time. After another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat, and he released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the, flood, until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. So he released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could find dry ground. But the dove could find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat, and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time, the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the flood waters had almost gone. He waited another seven days, then released, the, then released the dove again. This time it did not come back. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the flood waters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the cover of the boat and saw that the, that the surface of the ground was drying Two more months went by, and at least, and at last, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you, you and your wives, and your sons and their, you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, the small animals that scurry along the ground, so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives left the boat, and all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed 
as a burnt offering the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So, that last verse, as long as the earth remains, there will always be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So there will always be a planting and a harvest. So these scares that you'll run out of food, food may become scarce, but God says there will always be a planting and a harvest. There will always be cold and heat. So this global warming that the earth is going to burn up, well, God says there will always be cold too. It may change a little bit. There will always be summer and winter and day and night. Okay? That's his promise or his guarantee. We'll read a little bit of chapter 9, and then we're going to go to Psalms and finish up. So then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat meat with that still has the lifeblood in it. So, meat, vegetables, all of it's good for eating. God liked barbecue when they had the burnt offerings. It was a pleasing aroma to God. He liked barbecue. No? Barbecue sauce. <laughs> he liked roasted meat. He liked smoked meat. No. Yeah. That's no, Traeger. That. That has a Traeger. <laughs> yeah, he likes his Traeger. There you go. <laughs> he had his own kind of Traeger. Yeah. <laughs> so, verse 5. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. So again, we've read that God made human beings in his own image. Human beings? Yep, human beings in his own image. And then we, we read earlier that when Adam had a son, that son was in his image, in the image of God. And that continued on and on and on, even now. And we also read that everything that's ever been created, who created it? Jesus did. And so, when you look in the mirror, remember, you are created in God's image. And that God made you just the way he did, because he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Right? So don't be overcritical of the work that God has done. He didn't give you the right eye color or the right eyebrow shape or the right nose or whatever it is. He has a plan and a purpose and he made you just the way he did because he loves you and you're created in his image. Do not forget that. 
do not forget that. So, now I forgot where we were at. (laughs) So then, verse 8, Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on the earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all the living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. So when God says never, will it ever happen? No, it'll never. Now, does that mean that it'll never be flooding on the earth? No, but it doesn't say that. But a flood that'll cover the whole earth will never happen again. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all the living creatures. Never again will floodwaters destroy all the life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on the earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures of the earth. So the rainbow is a new thing. So how does a rainbow work, right? You have light that... The light spectrum goes through water and it breaks apart and they have this rainbow that's created. And they'd never seen that before. Again, I would say to you, there was like a cloud canopy or some kind of canopy that covered the earth and direct sunlight had never come to the earth before. But now after the flood and the rainwaters, now you have direct sunlight coming to the earth and the white spectrum is being broke apart through that water that you get to see in the rainbow, right? So again, the earth wasn't like what you see today. I think that's another reason that they saw rainbows after the flood and not before the flood. But that was God's promise. So have you ever seen a rainbow after a rainstorm? Is it not like one of the most amazing things ever? Yeah. Double <laughs> yeah, the double rainbows. Uh, triple. Like a double promise, Can like a double blessing. I don't know if I've ever seen it like that, but that would be cool. So, or does it? How much faith does it take to believe God at His word? Whoa. When you get to see, it takes a lot. But when you get to see things like rainbows, that doesn't just happen by accident, right? There was a creator that had a plan and a purpose in every little detail when he created everything. And the rainbow was part of it. And the rainbow has that purpose of reminding us, and it also says that it reminds God of his covenant with us, that he'd never flood the earth again. The rainbow, yeah. The rainbow episode remembers not. He remembers not to do that. Yeah. So, that would be, I guess that would be an interesting thing. Can you see rainbows from space? God says he can see them. But anyways, we won't get into that. Well, he's not in space. He's not in space. He's. I don't think he's on Jupiter. You don't think he's in Jupiter? I don't think so. Jupiter <laughs> makes you stupider. <laughs> I don't know about that. We're in the middle of church. Oh, yeah. I need to go, Fry. Okay, so let's, let's finish up. I'm going to go to Psalms 104. 
And this is where we'll finish up today. But remember, all of this is a started with a study in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. That's how this all started. But Psalms 104. I must jump down and start in verse 5. So you placed the world on its foundations so it would never be moved. So the world will never be moved off its foundations. Right? God placed it right where he wants it. You closed the earth with floods of water, water that covered even the mountains. So again, we read that the flood covered even the mountains. And while that may be hard to believe, I just believe God at his work. He says it happened, so I believe it happened. At your command, the water fled, and at the sound of your thunder, it hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed. Then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth. You make the springs pour water into ravines so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home, and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. So, being in the Rocky Mountains, we get some pretty amazing things. When we go up the mountains, yeah, we get some pretty cool sunsets in the Rocky Mountains. But we go up the mountains, and we go up I-70, what is there? There's that stream that runs by I-70. Oh, yeah. Remember when we go up the mountains and there's water coming out of the rocks? Uh-huh. You know, the springs coming out of the rocks. So everything that God says he's going to do, he does, right? So how, does, how do all these people get water around us? I bet Noah landed on top of Pius Creek. <laughs> <laughs> it says he landed Mount in Mount Ararat. I'm thinking that's kind of over there by Jerusalem. But I do believe that Pikes Peak was covered and at least had 22 feet of water above it. I don't, Pikes Peak is, I don't think, the highest mountain in our region. But I know, but it's pretty big. It is pretty big. So think of Pikes Peak completely underwater and 22 feet, at least 22 feet above. Ever thought of skiing down Pikes Peak? Oh my gosh, that'd be crazy. Okay, but back back on task. <laughs> so we have the the mountains and the streams and the and the water gushing out of the rocks, right? The springs coming up. And that's how God, that's how we get our water. That's how a lot of the rivers start here in the Rocky Mountains. Did you know that? Like, did you? A lot of the rivers that feed and and irrigate crops and, and bring water to people, it all starts in the mountains. And here we read about that in the Psalms that was written long, long ago. Is that not amazing? Isn't that amazing? How God makes it work? So he had a plan for all of it. How he would feed people. That the fruit of his labor will fill the earth. So he provides all these trees and all this vegetation and the animals and everything that you need, he provides. So one other thing that we can take away from all this is that God provides for everyone especially for those who believe in him, whatever that is, in many different ways, not just in monetary ways, but the things that we need in our life, God provides that all. The friends that we have, the uh, good times and the bad times, 
he provides. And why does he give us the bad times? Probably so that we'll turn to him. When do we usually turn to God the most? When we're in times of trouble. You know, so while we think they're bad, we could just turn to them in the good times too. And maybe there'd be less bad times in our life, but I don't know. I'll let you know if that works out or not. <laughs> All right. Any questions? We covered a lot. I can't imagine you don't have any questions. Personally? I. Yes. Go for it. No, you should go. You never ask questions. I don't ask questions. I have a statement. Okay, let's hear your statement. Personally, remember when you ruined Santa Claus for us? (laughs) I'm just saying, didn't we have to believe in Santa Claus? Yeah. I wasn't necessarily, well, I wasn't a believer when you were first born, so life was a little different back then. Okay, well, I'm just saying. We had to believe in Santa Claus without being able to see him. Yeah, I know. That's the main reason I told you it wasn't true. Because I, I had a hard time with that. So I tell you... Well, okay, the if thing you, believe, you didn't tell us God wasn't I real. know, I know. That's why I have such a hard time with the Santa Claus thing. Is because if I tell you, okay, if you believe in Santa Claus, all you have to do is believe in this guy and he brings you these presents every year. And then later on in life, you figure out I lied to you. But then yes. I tell you... Did you make sure Brooklyn didn't believe? I don't believe in Santa Claus, do you? <laughs> I was told that like four years okay, ago. Okay, good. Like, you're going to rock somebody's world. Here. That's like, like we're sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But then if I tell you, if you believe in Jesus, you have everlasting life, you know, that seems like an even bigger belief, right? But I lied about this first guy, but I didn't about the second. So early on when I became a Christian, yes. I told you guys at a fairly very young age that there was no such thing as Santa Claus and apologized you to you for lying to you. But sorry, Joel, I let you believe for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, well, <laughs> okay. So yes, that's oh. that was the main reason I told you that Santa Claus wasn't real because it wasn't true. Okay. But the Jesus part is real. Are we sure about that? I mean, you lied about Santa Claus. There you go. <laughs> That's that was my whole just concern kidding. about it all. I'm just kidding. Mom, Brooklyn just told you she sent her mom the Amazon cart for her Christmas list. She does not <laughs> believe in Santa Claus. Make it sure. All right. Any other comments or questions? No. Okay. She might think Amazon Santa Claus. I have Santa a question. <laughs> you have a or question? Kind of more of a comment. So I do believe. I, I, I have faith that God is God is up <clears throat> but just one day he woke up and decided to make the earth oh and the people in it oh I'm gonna I'm gonna make some people that are gonna sin and then make our lives miserable and then now we have to live in this part of the world when we could be living in that fancy garden that he had. Oh, don't worry. If they if they hadn't have sinned, if they hadn't have sinned, me and you me and you would have, and we would have screwed it up for everybody. Huh? Are you? Have you lived a life without sin? But what if he just didn't? What if we just like didn't know what sin was? Oh, that's a very that's a very good question. So why did why did God put the why did God give Adam and Eve the choice? Right. So what have we learned about love? Love is not a feeling. Now, Hollywood would tell you love is a feeling, but love's not a feeling. 
God says that love is a sacrifice, right? And the, the love that is spoken about in the Bible, when we look at it in the Greek, there were three words for that. One of them is agape, a self-sacrificing love. And the perfect example of that is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So Jesus chose willingly to go to the cross. So that's the example of love. So without choice, there is no love, right? So if God made people and didn't give them the choice to love him or to follow him or obey him or not, then there is no love. So without that choice, there is no love. Without that choice, we're just a bunch of mindless robots doing whatever we're told. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Do you have a comment or question? No. Should we pray? Yes. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace. I thank you for all the things you do. I just ask that you would lead us and guide us this week, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen our faith in you, that you would just help us to be the men and women you've called us to be, that you would give us patience and wisdom, knowledge, understanding, things that can only come from you. Jesus, I thank you for all that you do, but I very much thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, for the forgiveness of each and every one of our sins. It's in your mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen.